talk to you about when God is silent. And that's interesting. When Bill was sharing this morning about um, dreams, and he was talking about in Job 33, where uh, how many of you were not here this morning? Oh, where were y'all? Good thing Jesus didn't come back. <laughs> um, <laughs> you sing, <laughs> well, there'd be a big rush on those books left behind. Um, this morning, Bill talked about Job 33, or at least it was a big part of his context, where God talks about the fact that he speaks to us in visions of the night when sound sleep falls upon men that, that he that he talks to them and he keeps them from Sheol or from hell. And he talked about the kind of dream that we have where we don't remember the dream, but where God adjusted our heart. He adjusted our attitude. And he was talking about what God does. I mean, one of his points was that God is working when we don't even know it. And uh, it's interesting because that was uh, about four nights ago or five nights ago. I was when I was flying home from Hawaii, I was just reading Genesis one and I started to realize that. God was doing more when he stopped speaking than he was doing when he was speaking. And I just want to just take you through a, a few verses, and I really, um, I don't know how much I have to say. We'll see when it happens here. And Genesis 1.1, that's the first page of the Bible when you get past the table of contents. It's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. That word is uh, chaos, that the word was the world, the earth, was full of chaos, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. And one of, if, you, if you didn't hear uh, Bill's message, he talked about how um, life began at, in darkness. That darkness, and there was darkness and then light. And how many of you have found that God brings life out of darkness? And um, such a great word. Um, and, then it talked, and it goes on, God said, let, the expanse of the, um, let's see, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let them separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separate the waters which were below from the expanse of the waters which were above. Um, and it was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and morning a second day, and it goes on like that. And uh, I think one of the uh, important things to realize is that, it, that time is an invention. When God said, let there be light, you'll notice that it's, it's four, five more verses before God creates the sun and the moon. So when God said, when God separated the light from the darkness and called it a day, God was literally creating time, because there is no time in God's world. And how many of you understand that you're seated in heavenly places? And because you're seated in heavenly places, John, uh, in Revelation 4, Jesus said to John, the Apostle John, come up here, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. You understand that your heavenly seat gives you uh, eternal perspectives. And so we're seated, we're living inside of time, and we're also living outside of time. Like we live in two dimensions simultaneously. We live in this world that, that where time and space limits us, but we also live in heavenly places in Christ. And how many of you understand that in heavenly places, in, Christ, in God's world, there is no time? And so when we, see in our, when, we, when we take our rightful seat in heavenly places, it gives us earthly, it gives you eternal perspectives so we can see things not as they are, but as God sees them. And, um, but 
I want to talk a little bit in John chapter uh, one, verse one. It says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. How many understand that God, when God spoke and said, let there be light, that he literally his words become became worlds. That God called things that are not, according to Romans, as though they were. And when he spoke, he actually, his words literally became tangible things. And the Bible says, John 1, that the word of God was with God. It says, and the word was, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You know, it's interesting to me that when we invent something, like a hard drive. Isn't it interesting how language has changed? How many of you remember when a hard drive was a rough road? When God, when, when we create something, when we invent something, you know, we, like you know, the guy who invented the hard drive, I don't even know how that happened, but, you know, you can imagine he comes out of the laboratory and he's got something that records things, that you can actually, you know, memorize, it memorizes data, it keeps data on his disk, and, you know, somebody says, what is that? And he's like, I don't know. And, and, and what I'm getting at is that that language in our world, language follows invention. But in God's world, God invents the word, creates a description, speaks it and then creates the invention. An exact reverse. We language in our world follows invention. In God's world, words make worlds in our world. In the, in, the, in, the, in the visible kingdom, we create things and then name them. In God's world, he names them and that creates things. That's amazing to me. That shows you the power of the word, the power of words when you're sitting in heavenly places, that your words literally create worlds. It's important to, to realize how powerful our words are when we're sitting in proper place with God because literally our, our life and death is in the power of the tongue. Literally, words are becoming our worlds and some of us are actually the victim of the invisible man because we haven't realized that our words are actually entrapping us. That literally we are creating our own self-fulfilled prophecies by speaking against our own world. That's a good word. Or a bad one, depending on what you're saying. In Genesis chapter 2, let's just go to uh, finish this part in in verse 1, I mean chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I'm serious. Fish come. I would just man. I, I'll tell you, I could become a sportsman right there. If we could just, if we just get back to this place that Adam was like, come fish, mm. birds. Oh wait, I think it gets birds. Yeah, the fish of the sea over the birds of the sky. And if I had rulership over birds, I would have no poop on my car. Seriously, I'd be like, this is a no poop zone right here. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of, um, anyway, we oh, well, this is live. <laughs> Some people's sense of humor isn't the same. So, it goes on. 
<laughs> birds of the sky, over the cattle, <laughs> over, the, uh, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You'd even have power over creeps. And God made man in his own image. And in the image of God. That's in their book. I bet the message Bible makes it clear. God created man in his image. And in, the, in this image, God created them both male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. I like that right there. He gave you sex drive right there. Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth. Some of you have only had two children. That's not multiply. That's add. Okay. Let's do a little math class here. If, you, if there's two of you and, you and you create two more, that's addition. Multiplication is three and up. Some of you need to get back to this first. Be fruitful. Multiply. Okay. This just came over me. I didn't plan any of this. <laughs> Subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea. <laughs> this is so good. I didn't get this when I read it the other day. Rule over the fish of the sea. Dude, Flipper is anointed. Over the birds of the sky. See that? And over every living thing that moves on the earth. And it goes on like that. And um, then um, verse 15, uh, wait, where are we here? (laughs) Did you notice that God originally created Adam, man, there, same word Adam, male and female? You know that when, when God said, when God originally created Adam, he created him both male and female? In other words, you couldn't, God, Adam couldn't even reproduce if he wasn't male and female. And then later on, God said, I need to make a helpmate for him. And then God broke him in half. (laughs) We've never been whole again without a woman. Talk about that a minute. (laughs) Please don't. Verse 7, then the Lord. Verse 7, the Lord, the Lord formed man of the dust from the ground. The Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And God planted the garden, and it goes on like that. And he placed man there that he'd formed. Verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. In the, for in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Then the Lord said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called the living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and the birds in the sky and every beast of the field for Adam. But for Adam there was not found a suitable helper. 
And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the place of his side. And the Lord God fashioned it into a woman, the rib which he'd taken from the man. And he brought it. He brought her to the man. And the man said, This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's been taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Um, I just I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about the fact that you'll notice that when God created light and darkness, when he created the, when he created the trees and everything in it, he spoke. For five days, God spoke, and things happened just from his words. But when God created Adam, when he created the, when he created the animals, it says that God formed them out of the dirt, out of the dust of the, of the earth. And uh, the other night I was just reading this and I was thinking about how, what happens when God is silent. When God's speaking, he's creating worlds. And sometimes we go through these seasons, and I don't know if this maybe applies to you and tonight. I really feel like this is more of a prophetic word or an exhortation. It is a teaching. But I felt so, so strongly when I was reading this on the plane that God is at work oftentimes the greater work of God is, being, is, is happening in our life when we're in those times when it seems that God is silent. And so when God is speaking, he's creating the worlds, he's creating the earth, he's, doing all, he's creating the heavens, he's creating the expanse of the heavens and the water beneath and the, the, um, the clouds above, and he's creating day and night. And then God stops speaking and he starts forming. And w- one of the things I want to share with you tonight, and I feel like, some of you are going through a time when, when it feels like God is silent. And there are seasons in life when it feels like God's far away and when he's silent. And what, I've, what I'm learning in my own life, that oftentimes when God stops speaking, he starts forming. And then he, he, he goes from creating through his words, through creating through his process. That the Lord begins to create with his own hands. And the things that God creates with his own hands are those things... God, they're, they're special things that, that are actually things that God adores and that God wants to be with. And I think that, um, I think that there's two, two common ways that God creates. And one is that he builds through his words. And we, we talked about that just a minute ago. But the other is that he builds with his process, that God forms us through the process and he fashions us with his own hands. And I don't know how many of you are going through a season where it feels like God is silent. If you're going through a season right now where you feel like God is silent, like you haven't heard God, I want you to stand right now. Because I felt like we were supposed to pray that God would make you aware. It's like Jacob. It says that Jacob laid his head on a rock. And when he laid his head on a rock, he suddenly, had, or suddenly falls asleep and he has this dream. And in the dream, you know the dream, angels are ascending and descending on him. And he makes this statement, God was here and I didn't even know it. And I have a sense that God wants to reveal himself to you in your darkness. When I'm talking about darkness, I'm not necessarily talking about a trial. I'm just talking about your dark time, like a time when it seems like you can't see, where God's far away. And, you know, when God's far away or when God feels far away, I'm realizing in my own life that when God seems far away, he's often fashioning us. When he stops talking, he often starts 
fashioning us with his, with his own hands. And I feel like the season in your life when, when God is silent, that this is the most profound season in your life, that God stops speaking and he starts working so deeply in your life that it's, it's, it's below the conscious level. And I was thinking about how Jesus would do a miracle and then he would say, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anyone. And it's the nature of God to not brag. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love does not brag. It's the nature of God to do secret things in your life in which he's not going to get the credit unless you happen to ask for the eyes to see the mysteries of God. And some of you, you think God is, is, is um, far away from you, but the truth is, is that he's working in a mystery in your life. He's working, he's working in this place in your life, in an intimate place in your life, that's far below the conscious level, and you're completely unaware that the most powerful time in your whole life is probably happening right now. That you'll look back two, three, four, five years from now, and you'll realize that when God was silent, He was actually forming something really powerful in your life, in which you'll build the rest of your life on and I just want to release this first over you. And Father, I just pray right now. I know what it's like to be in a dark time, to be in a time when I, don't, when I can't see it, can't hear anything. It feels like you're thousands of miles away. And I wonder if you're listening at all. And Lord, I just pray for these folks that are going through these seasons right now that you would begin to open up their hearts. And like Bill spoke this morning about dreams. Lord, that even in dreams, as Jacob had a dream and you were, you were sending and descending, the angels were coming and Lord, I just pray that you would just begin to open up a spirit of revelation over them, that the heavens would be open over them, that you would break the brass, the brass heavens, the brass kind of this, this, this thing that feels like I'm in, I'm in a cocoon that I can't get out of. Lord, I break the, the feeling of powerlessness. I break the feeling of abandonment. I break the feeling of being alone and scared, Lord, and I release right now the sense that you are close, that you are, that you are around them, that you are with them in this very place of, uh, of darkness, in this very place of silence, that you are actually in the silence, that you are in the silence. And Lord, I believe that everyone that's in this place of silence would, would actually be saying, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Your servant is here to listen. I pray that you would open up ears, that this season would, would quickly be over. Lord, we need so much to hear from you. Lord, we, we, our, our whole being just wants, our love language is, is, is affirmation. We need to hear from you. We need, we need you to just talk to us, just to say anything, just let us know that you're, just let us know that you're near. Lord, we pray for that for every single person that's going through this season in Jesus' name. You can go ahead and sit down. And, um, it's, it says in verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and he brought him, brought her to the man. I, I think this is so cool because the Lord formed a man, but he fashioned a woman. <laughs> I don't know if you ever thought of that. I was like, form, like. There you go. Man, done. There's another one. <laughs> Close enough. Just formed a man. He formed the animals too, which is scary. That's why our DNA matches so close. 
but he fashioned a woman. <laughs> Did you know? It's in the book. It's, I looked it up in the, in the Hebrew. It's two different words. I don't know what difference it is, but it, it is different. He formed, he formed a man. But he fashioned a woman. It's amazing because, you know, women have been into fashion ever since. It's just in their DNA. Looking good. And um, when God fashioned, when he formed the animals, you know, he didn't speak the animals to, into existence. He formed the animals and he formed woman. And when he formed the animals, he brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. You know, I think that if God would have spoke the animals into existence, he wouldn't have been able to give them to Adam to name. I think he had to form them so that Adam could name them so they could co-create together. I think that when Adam named the animals, that he was actually co-creating with God And that those names, the name of the animal, actually became the very DNA of that animal. I believe that when when Adam named the animals, it was the same as when God said, let there be light. That Adam was co-creating with God. and And if God would have spoke the animals into existence, Adam couldn't have named them because God would have already used the word to create them. And you'll notice this. This is where I think it gets exciting. That when God forms or fashions the woman, he brings her to the man. And the man begins to prophesy over her. And the man says, she is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. God didn't say that. Man said that. And then he says this. And for this reason, listen to this. For this reason, a man, the man shall leave his father and mother. Who's being inconvenienced here? The man shall leave his father. We know they're both going to leave. But listen to what he's saying. The man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Do you know there was no mother and father when Adam said this? There was just Adam and woman. (laughs) She wasn't named Eve yet. There was just Adam and woman. And Adam, I think that Adam... Well, women, what I'm trying to say is we helped. This is really simple. I was going to make it really complicated. But you're here because we helped. <laughs> that was supposed to be a compliment. That Adam begins to co-create with God and he begins to say, this is, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And then he begins to prophesy things that are not. He doesn't have a mother and father except for God. And he says, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And you understand that when God made Adam, we said this in Genesis 1, he made Adam both male and female. He made man, the same word, Adam both male and female, and he told Adam, both male and female, to dominate the world and to procreate. But when God came back, he looked and Adam didn't have a suitable helper. It wasn't that Adam couldn't co-create. It wasn't that Adam couldn't, couldn't have children. It was that Adam, got, when God would leave the garden, Adam didn't have, God, there was, Adam, God made Adam, that's a point I was making, God made Adam. And women, you didn't speak into it. 
That was funny. I was just being funny. When God made Adam, he made Adam to need God. Without God, he, even though he had animals, even though he could co-create, he was alone. And God said, I'm going to make you a suitable helper. And the word suitable there means a helper who correlates with you. The, I'm going to make someone who is your opposite. I'm going to make someone who fits in this hole that you have. And, it, and, he's, and when God says, I'm going to make you a suitable helper, some people are like, a woman is a helper. Well, yeah, that's true. But that word helper is used three times for woman and, and 16 times for God. When God says, I'm going to make you a suitable helper, he's saying, I'm going to make somebody that when I'm gone, you still feel whole. And so he takes Adam and he breaks him in half. That's why he never counts. That's why God never counts women again in a crowd. Because he said the two will be one. That's right. You are not complete without woman, without man, unless you have a gift from God. Paul said that it takes a gift, a charisma, same word, gift of the Spirit. It takes a gift from God to live singly. I know, I live singly. But the gift from God... made it all the way to 15. It was a very small gift. (laughs) Time capsule. Okay, we're moving on on that point. (laughs) This message is so crazy. This... Okay. (laughs) There's some truth there. You just have to mine it out of the humor. (laughs) That's right. Hey, I'll tell the jokes up here. You get paid to be funny. It's amazing what God can do with dirt. <laughs> Isn't it? Just think about it. Men, ladies, you were formed from an evolutionary process, came out of a rib. But men, we came from dirt. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? <laughs> it's amazing what God can do with the dirt of your life. You know, sometimes we, um, we regret things that God is actually using to make an incredible impact on the world. And it's not that we shouldn't regret sin, but it's amazing what God can do with dirt. It's amazing how God can re- t- take dirt and recreate it into something awesome and living. And I think that anytime you've Anytime you live in regret, you've lost sight of what God can do. 
with your mistakes, with your sins. And um, in, uh, in Psalms 23, you know this famous verse, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. <clears throat> your rod and staff are with me. Psalms 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You know, the valley of death only has a shadow. You have to have light to have a shadow. And sometimes when we're in that place where we feel like we're in this place of the shadow of death, we realize the only reason there's a shadow is because light is near. And the psalmist wrote that he that dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I just feel so strong tonight. This is a really simple word. I just feel like you need to know that God's with you. So many of you are going through struggles. And you're just like, I'm going. You know, in the King James Version, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, that is a stupid translation. Who says yay? Yay. How are you doing? Yay. I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. Dude, if you begin with yay, you ain't been in the right valley. The message says what? Yippee? Seriously? (laughs) This is the woman you gave me. My goodness. <laughs> Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to slaughter. Like a sheep that is silent before a shearer, so he did not open his mouth. How much is God doing when he's silent? When he created you, he was silent. And when he redeemed you, he was silent. God is in the silence of your life. I'm telling you, I feel so strong. This is a prophetic declaration for so many of you. And people are watching by iBethel TV. I feel so strongly that God is in the silence of your life. He's redeeming you. He's forming you. You don't even know it. And my prayer for all of you that are in those seasons of silence is that you would have a Jacob encounter and you would say, God was here and I didn't even know it. And I have a sense that that God is actually doing more work, oftentimes, in our silence, in His silence, than He is when He's speaking. And when God, when God is working in, our, in His silence, when God is working silently, He's working intimately. When God is working silently, He's working intimately. And I, I you know, we are such a prophetic culture and I'm one of the leaders of our of our culture, and so you know we value so much the prophetic declarations and prophetic words, and and um, I have been through so much, so many seasons where I think maybe the most frustrating thing in in my life is when God speaks to me for other people but refuses to talk to me personally, and um, people will walk up in my seasons of silence. And they'll say, do you have anything for me? And I'm thinking, you kidding? If I had something, I'd give it to me. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, the Lord will just be tell them such and such and do this over them. And they'll be like, oh, that was amazing. And I'll get home and I'm like, 
in Jesus' name, I receive a word for myself. Nothing. How many of you have any clue what I am talking about? Nothing. Nothing. And, it's, and uh, there's, there's something about intimacy. There's something about the most powerful seasons in our life. Sometimes when God gets close, he refuses to talk. And it's not that God isn't speaking. It's that, it's that the, um, there are times in our marriage that you don't use words. And there are times in intimacy that words are inappropriate. I'm so convinced that some of you are in the most intimate time of your life with God and you're completely missing the moment because you're waiting for God to speak and He's waiting to fashion and form you. And you know, the Pharisees missed Jesus because He came in a different form. It came in a form they didn't expect. In fact, when Jesus rose from the dead, his own disciples missed him because it says, and he came to them in a different form. And sometimes we, in this prophetic culture, we have it all figured out, like, this is how God talks. Like, God's going to, if God comes, this is how God, this is how he does it. I think Bill was talking about um, being, you know, being overconfident in how God does it. Like, you have it all figured out. Like, God speaks to me like this. And then God decides to speak to you like this. He he kisses you awake in the morning. He he tucks you in at night. And you're so waiting for words. And God's doing something so much deeper than words. And you're missing it. Because you refuse to realize that sometimes God is silent. And when he's silent, he's forming you. When he's silent, he's fashioning you. And when he's silent, he's redeeming you. You know, one of my challenges, one of my struggles at times, just in, my, in our, my own heart and our own movement, is that we tend to relegate a certain manifestation to, whether, to God. Like, if God is present, it'll look like this. And I don't, I don't really care which one it is, your, whatever your favorite is. You know, people shake and fall down at certain, in certain seasons more, more easily. I don't know if this is really accurate how I'm saying it, how I'm putting it to words, but I think you can kind of, I think you know what I'm saying. There are, there are times when, you know, when God, like, you know, in 1994, 95, 96, I mean, we would have kids come into our youth group in Weaverville. They would walk in, unsaved kids who would sit in the back row like this because their parents forced them to come. And every youth pastor knows what I'm talking about, the fun kids. And they would get blasted. Sitting on the front row, not, they're still not believers. They haven't prayed the sinner's prayer, raised their hand, come forward, or anything. And God would just blast them, and their parents would come and literally carry them out. <laughs> and, and I'm, I mean, it was powerful. I, I'm not talking about it happened once in a while. It happened often. Whole rows of people would fall out under the power of God. And the, the challenge with that is that we begin to say, well, if that's not happening, then we don't have the same level of presence that we had at other times. And I have um, been, in my own life, I don't know how you measure God encounters. That's part of this challenge. How do you articulate God encounters? I would tell you this, and this is the truth, 
that the greatest, greatest revelation I've ever had, and I don't know if that's related to an encounter. Revelation means like God uncovers something. Like I will pray for it for weeks, sometimes months. I'll, I'll just I'll read a passage and I'm like, I know there's more here. Like God will intrigue me and then not speak to me. And I'll read it over and over and I'll, I'll lay awake at night thinking about it. And I'll study it and, and I'll, I don't know Hebrew or Greek, but I'll get my computer out and look up the, the verse. And I just like, I know there's more there. Like I understand, like the X marks the spot. There's a treasure here. I have no idea what it is, but I know there's something there. And this is, this is the truth, and it's not happened once. It happens hundreds of times with me. And I'll go out in my wood shop, and I'll be out there working. Like this would be two, three weeks after I even, I just finally gave up. And I'll be out there cutting wood or building something, and all of a sudden the Lord will just talk to me. Hey, you know what this da 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 is? I'm like, yeah, why didn't you tell me when I was trying? I, to- I totally forgot. It's like Zacharias, you know. Uh, you're going to have a son. He's like, say what? I forgot about that 35 years ago. And it's like God decides to answer. God decides to be present. God decides to, to, to manifest himself in times when I'm not doing anything. I don't know if you're ever doing anything to deserve it, but I think you know what I'm saying. Like, I'm not trying. I just, I'm out working, and, I, and by surprise, the Lord says, hey, this is that, and this fits here, and by the way, I'm going to move this person here and do that, and I'll have a 20-minute encounter while I'm out in the wood shop, and I'm like, I think I'm just going to stay out here. Like, I'm not going to read my Bible anymore. I'm just going to work on wood. <laughs> you know, I'm joking. But my point is, is that we, we sometimes measure the presence of God by a certain manifestation. And I, and I think that the point that, that, that ha- the thing that happens is, is that we, we, we miss so much of what God actually is doing in our lives because we think it has to happen in four walls or with the music a certain way or a certain feeling or a certain this or a certain that. And we actually measure the levels of God's presence by something that's happening to us instead of something that's happening in us. And, and um, I, I stopped teaching on worship for about three years, which, you know, we were born in worship. I mean, Bill... I mean, you, Bill's main messages in the early days, uh, one of his main themes was worship. He taught on worship all the time, and I traveled with you a lot in those days, and I was born in worship, and worship honestly saved my, my life. Uh, Psalms 149, the high praises of God in our mouth, a two-edged sword in our hand. I mean, I learned that worship was a warship, and it, it actually saved me. But I, I, I've, um, I went through about a two- or three-year period where I just got, I guess, had this thing inside of me that says worship isn't, doesn't start when the music happens. Worship isn't about, it isn't just about a form. It isn't just about the dance or it isn't just about a sound. It isn't just about a guitar. Worship is, is something that it's not just, it's not a lifestyle. It's you offering yourself, Romans 12, as a living sacrifice. And when you, whatever you do with your hands becomes an instrument to God. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I'm not, I'm not, of course, not opposed to worship. Brian, we're friends. I, I, I mean, I love this. Don't misunderstand me. I'm simply saying that sometimes we, we call us a worship service, and then when we leave here, we wonder why people don't give, offer themselves as a living sacrifice because they think it's something they do on Sunday morning. So we press them into doing something they've never done before on Sunday morning, and it's like, I think God wants our whole life to be led let, uh, 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 an instrument like I think that when we're working, if you're working at McDonald's, it's actually worship to God. 
And that his presence, when we start thinking like that, his, the angels ascend and descend wherever we go. We become a vortex in whatever we do. If we're packing burgers and it's for God, it's worship. And I'm not opposed to other forms. I, I love the other forms. I just don't want to. I just don't want to. I just don't want to say that that you know the presence of God is stronger when here than it is at McDonald's. If you're there, and God's there, you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to take away from this. I'm trying to add to that. I'm trying to say we need God's presence outside of the four walls, and we need to make sure that we don't. Create spaces where we go. We can expect God here, but we can't expect him here. Or we can expect God when there's this kind of music, but we can't expect him when there's no music. And I'm like, what would happen if we had the same expectation when there was no music as we did when there was? I hope this is coming out how I mean it, because, you know, if you took my life in context, you would understand that I love worship as we have defined it. And I began to teach on it again in worship school. But I just don't want to eliminate, I don't want to reduce what can happen when we leave this place. And I don't want to reduce God to a manifestation that happened in 94 or 2004 or 2010. I want God to be able to do whatever God wants to do and realize that when God is present, it might be in your darkness, but when God is present, present he is fashioning you. Something powerful is happening. You may not know it for months. You may not know it for years, but God doesn't waste time. He's working in you, whether you're aware of it or not. You know, sometimes I think subconsciously people end up in this, they, they end up with, in this um, double-minded place because they, we create incredible expectation for them to encounter God with great music. And I'm just going to use the word music now to separate from worship. I understand it's worship, but, but we create this incredible expectation for people to encounter God with great music. And unknowingly, we're saying to them without that, we're not saying it, but people walk away with thinking, the only way that I can encounter God like that is if I put on a CD while I'm working. And I'm like, hmm, some of the greatest encounters with God, with Moses, with Abraham, they didn't even have music. And God was talking to them face to face. They were encountering God and in hard places. And if you look throughout the Bible, most of the time when God was encountering people, I know there's some exceptions, but most of the time when God was encountering people, there was no music at all. There wasn't a, an atmosphere. There wasn't, a, a, you know, and it's awesome when everything is perfect, but I just think we need to get to be people that we, it doesn't matter if we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we know you're with us, and the same manifestation is available, the same power is available. It may manifest differently, but the same power is available to me when I'm, when I'm at, at work at some, quote, secular job, which I don't even believe in a secular job if you know Jesus. As soon as you got saved, it became sacred. Because you are. Do you know what I'm saying? And um, 1 Corinthians, I want to just read you this. 1 Corinthians 12, listen to this. He's talking about... Uh, oh, <laughs> First Corinthians. 
Okay, listen to this. Um, he's talking about the spirit world. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I don't want you to be unaware. But the word gifts isn't in the original text. So it actually reads, now concerning the spiritual, I don't want you to be unaware. And this is what he says. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. A variety of ministries, but the same Lord. And a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Let me just read this part again. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of effects, effects, but the same God. And, um, you know, sometimes when God comes on you, the effect is different than when God comes on Danny. Sometimes when God comes on, God is so creative that when his presence falls on one person, it doesn't have to look like it does when it falls on someone else. And sometimes we can measure how powerful the presence of God is on us by, by reflecting on how somebody else is being touched and think that God's not with us. And I'm just trying to encourage you like, He is. You feel it or not, He is. How many of you know it's called spiritual gifts, not soul gifts? It may touch your soul, but it's spirit to spirit. And, and, and so I think, you know, when God came on Solomon, he got wise. When God came on Samson, he, got, he, got, he definitely didn't get smart. He, he stayed stupid. <laughs> you got an IQ crisis when your girlfriend ties you up three times and tells you the Philistines are upon you and you still spill the beans. I mean, come on. The dude had a, he had a serious issue. Not stupid on steroids. But when God came on Samson, he didn't get wise, but he sure got strong. And I won't make any comments about that. In Genesis chapter 11, it's the story of um, the Tower of Babel. I just want to read you a few lines. It said, they said to one another, let us make... Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used bricks. Listen to this. They used bricks instead of stone. And they used tar instead of mortar. And they said, let us build it for ourselves, a city, a tower, whose top will reach the heavens. Let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad. I I thought it's interesting that they used bricks instead of stone. See, we're living stones, not living bricks. The Tower of Babel wasn't made out of stones. It was made out of bricks. And they spoke the same language. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Like everyone being the same, I think it's called religion. And people are building a tower to the heavens with it. And it's all about you. Listen, you fit into the same place that everyone else fits because you're a brick. And they exchange mortar, tar for mortar. And there is a lot of things bonding people together that have nothing to do with love. Sometimes vision, absence of love, bonds people together. People will come together for a common vision, but down at the, right at the bonding place of their stones, they're not held together by anything that's eternal. And listen, I, I love vision, but if the bonding place of your organization, in other words, people come together because they have a common vision, you won't stay together. 
You're exchanging tar for mortar. And God wants us to be, God wants us to be together in the bond of love. Are you with me? And so we're living stones, and living stones means that, that a living stone is, it means that you're the only person who fits there. Like if you've ever built anything out of stone, we just built a waterfall, and I was watching the, the masons as they built, and most of the, like when you see a wall made out of, out of brick or out of anything that's symmetrical, it goes up really fast. But when you see something made out of stone, it moves much slower. And what they do is they take the stones in different sizes and they stack them in different stacks, smaller ones, the odd-shaped ones. And they, they, they first take, they'll take hours and sort the stones so that they're, they're, they're more aware of where a stone like that might be, what tribe, well, I'm sorry, what pile it might come out of. And that stone is, is only, it's going to, it's only going to fit in one, pl- in one or two places. You can't just take it and put it anywhere. Are you following me? And um, it's interesting because God confused the language of the Babylonians. Remember that? That's why it was called the Tower of Babel. He confused their languages so that they couldn't understand each other. And then Acts chapter 2, what happened? The day of Pentecost came. They're all together in one place. And suddenly there came... From heaven, a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole place. And there appeared to them as tongues of fire distributed on them. And they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now they were living in, in Jerusalem, Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And, this, and when the sound occurred, the crowd came together, bewildered, because each of them came hearing them speak in his own language. It's interesting to me that at the Tower of Babel, God confused their language. And when God built his house, he gave them different tongues and then caused them to be able to understand each other anyway. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And uh, Romans 12, we're almost done. Romans 12:2 says this. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Through the grace of God given to me, I say that everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment, for God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not, everybody say do not, have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and, and individually, everybody say individually, members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us exercise them accordingly. And this is really awesome, and I, we're, we're coming to a close here, but I, I think it's awesome that it says that he gave us gifts that are different. And he says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then he says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment for God has allotted each a measure of, of grace. And then he goes on to talk about the difference in the body and that we're individually members of one another. How do you know if you're thinking too highly of yourself? Well, if you're thinking too highly of yourself, you won't value people who are different than you. I can't tell you how many organizations are building out of brick instead of stone. They only value people if they look like them. And, we, and, and I can't tell you how many... How many I, see, I think religion strips people of their individuality and calls it unity. Unity is not conformity. It's the celebration of diversity. God made each of us completely different. 
He made us, we are only one that fits in that exact spot. God made you specifically. You're like, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm weird. I'm different. It's like, well, you're different because we need someone to fit in that place in the wall. In that place in the palace, if you will. Because we're living stones being built up as a heavenly place for, the, a, for spiritual worship. In other words, God's building a, a palace and it's not, made with, it's not made with hands. It's made with living stones. God's still fashioning, if you will, his bride. Remember, he made a man, but he fashioned a woman. I have a sense that he's fashioning the bride. And, and that, and that it, when we start thinking like the world, don't be conformed. Just the word. Conform. It's like, don't be conformed. Don't be shoved in this box where everybody is trying to look like everybody else and everyone's trying to own what everybody else has. And the Joneses got a new car, so we have to get one. And it's, that, it's the brick thing to heaven. It's the Tower of Babel where everybody has to speak the same language so we can get along. It's unity, but it's not the kind of unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit you saw in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit fell and they spoke different languages and they understood each other. And I believe that the Lord wants to release that individual. I think he wants to release that, that, that kind of, he wants to release the, the Holy Spirit on us where creativity can be released, where we can understand each other, even though we're different. Even though we're not the same. Even though we don't experience God the same way. Even though when God comes on one person, he shakes. And God comes on another person, they get revelation. God comes on someone else when they get strong. Some, God comes on someone else. They, in other words, there's different effects of the same spirit. And we celebrate. That's amazing. And we stop saying, listen, if you're really spiritual, you'll be like this. Okay? Okay, be like this. Okay, now you're holy. Listen, you need to fit in. I think God wants to release you from fit in. I think that real love, if you get rid of the tar and you add mortar, real love will bond people who don't fit in. I think the world is tired of boxes and squares and there is no straight lines in God. I'm not talking about character. You understand. You have to say that when you're on TV because people... Say bad stuff about us. And it's like, I didn't mean that. Of course I didn't mean that. I'm not talking about the straight line of character or the straight way to the kingdom. You, you would know that. I'm talking to those people. I'm talking about... They write bad stuff about us because of one-liners. You know that. It's true. I say, like, I did not say that. Well, then they go, yes, you did. This is a quote. Please. Help me, Jesus. Can people be that... There are people that are that... Anyway... I shared this the other day, but my grandson, Evan, he's like, Papa, he's six. Papa, can I make some money? I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay, what can I do? I said, you can sweep the leaves off the deck. All right. So I gave him a broom, and he's out there sweeping leaves. You know, he's six, man. He's six. He's got the attention span. I'm like, gone. I don't know if a bee flew by or a butterfly flapped in front of him, but off he went. You know, with his broom. So about a half an hour later, he ends up back in the pool, back by the pool where I'm cleaning the pool. And I said, Evan, did you, did you finish the sweeping the deck? He's like, no, not yet. I said, how come? He said, I'm tired. I'm tired. Oh, yeah, you look wore out. He said, I'm tired. I said, you're tired. I said, Superman doesn't get tired. He said, Superman doesn't sweep leaves. 
what happens when you get outside of your anointing. It's exhausting. When you're trying to be what you weren't created to be. When you're pushed into being somebody else. When the only way you get value in certain circles is to be like someone else and have the same manifestation someone else has and to try to be like someone else. And God says, I want to fashion you personally. Listen, I don't want to speak you into existence. I don't want to just say, and let there be man. Bricks. God's like, I want to fashion you personally. I want to have a part in the way I fashion you. And I want to take you from dirt. I want, to, I want you to know, like, I want you to know that I, what I can do with dirt. What I can do with, the, with, with nothing in your life. Oh, God, I've come to you with nothing. God goes, watch what I can do with nothing. Watch what I can do with nothing. Give me your nothing and watch what I can do with it. God, I've made a mess out of my life. <laughs> you started with a mess. Look what I can do with nothing. It's exhausting trying to be someone else. I'll tell you, I, I would have never said that I had low self-esteem until I found out I had low self-esteem. <laughs> you know the lowest level of life is you don't know that you don't know. Everybody else knows that you don't know, but you don't know that you don't know. And everybody else knows what it is you don't know. You know what I mean? The next level of life is you know that you don't know. <laughs> That's an incredible revelation. Mark Twain said, when, my father, when I was 16, my, I, my father was an idiot. But the time I was 21, you should see what the old man learned. <laughs> something happens when you have this revelation that you know that you don't know. <laughs> you know? And sometimes we just come to this place where, in our lives where, you know, I, I, just, I figured out, and of course I wrote a book about it, my first book, but... It came from this revelation that I really, if you would have said, you have low self-esteem, I would have said, no, I don't. You said, you don't like yourself. I would have said, yes, I do. But what I figured out is, I always wanted to be someone else. Reminds me, we had this transient guy that came to our parts house year after year. You remember him? Davey. And Davey was, uh, he was um, um, mentally... Uh, I don't want to dishonor him. Yeah, he was mentally challenged. He was um, just a really sweet heart. And he would, he would uh, migrate to Weaverville in the summertime, every summer. I mean, for six, seven years, probably. But it was funny because every time he would come to Weaverville, and he'd stay there for like two or three months until it got cold, and then he would go off to the coast of Eureka. And, and he had a Social Security check he'd get the first of every month, so he could just about, actually, he'd spend about most of it by the 20th and then be totally broke. What was funny is that every time he would come to our auto parts store every year, he would come as somebody else. So one, one summer he came as a ninja. And he had a whole ninja gi on. <laughs> he had a whole ninja gi on. And, and I'm like, Davey, what are you? He said, I'm a ninja. These hands are registered with the police department. <laughs> it was so funny. And he'd come to our home group, but he wouldn't bathe for like months. So we're like, okay, first thing you do is you take a bath. He'd turn on the water in there, take a shower, turn on the water and come out. Three minutes later, he's like, no, 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 no. You have to get in the shower, not next to it. And then the next year he would come, and he came as a cowboy the next year, I think. Came as a cowboy, all dressed in the cowboy gig. And then the next year he came as a priest. 
Got a backwards caller. He's a priest one year. And then we just kind of take bets on when Davy showed up the next year, what he was going to be. And, you know, God bless him. He's never comfortable with who he was. And, you know, that sounds funny, but people do that all the time. They don't put on the gi necessarily, but they find someone they really admire. And it's awesome. How many of you know to admire people? It's awesome. We should. We should admire people. We should not know them after the flesh, but after the spirit. And we need to honor people. And that's one of our, um, one of our core values is honor. But you also have to honor who God made you to be. There's something about just being comfortable. You know, if you're a ninja, be a ninja. <laughs> if you're a cowboy, be a cowboy. If you're a priest, be a priest. But please stop trying to be what the last person got credit for when he manifests. Because that doesn't feel real. And when you have the freedom when you come here to be yourself, was inside some perimeters. <laughs> I mean, if you're evil, like, get rid of that. <laughs> but you have, you have, you get to be you, and God loves you the way you are. I mean, he actually made you. I'm not talking about dysfunctions or anything else you could stuff in there. I'm just talking about the real you. Like, you are not like anyone else. And, you know, if you, if you, if you copy someone else, the best you can do is a cheap invitation of the original. We need you so badly to be you. And I just, I just want to give you permission. Just be released and realize that God is with you. Well, I don't do that. I don't manifest like that. Okay, well, maybe someday you will. And if you don't ever, awesome. Just, just be thankful. Like Chris was talking about earlier. Just be thankful for how God manifests. The effects of the Spirit in you are exciting. We're excited for you. We're excited for you. We're, we're jealous for you. And, um, amen. Why don't you just stand and I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to Stack the chairs and have you all manifest in falling down. (laughs) And if you don't fall, we'll just push you. (laughs) We need you to look a certain way when we pray for you. Okay? When I pray for you, I don't care if you really feel the spirit. Just just fake it. (laughs) Of course, I'm kidding. There it is, right there. Went out on YouTube. (laughs) One line on YouTube. Ready, search, light. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) i got to tell you this one more story that has nothing to do with my teaching, but it's just so funny. (laughs) Another Evan story. He's sitting in the back seat, and he's talking. He talks the whole time. I mean, constantly. If he's... If he's awake, he's talking. It doesn't matter if you're present. He doesn't matter if there's people around. He just talks all the time. Talk, 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 talk. And if he's not talking, he's singing. And so he's singing and talking, and he's in the back seat, and he's talking to me, and I'm saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And every once in a while, yeah, that's right. I have no idea what he's saying. I'm like, I hope he didn't say, like, the devil rules the world. Or... <laughs> I'm just like, uh-huh, yeah, that's right, uh-huh, yeah, that's right. I just... Do it in chorus. Uh-huh. That's right. And finally he says, Papa. Like, get my attention because he probably figured out I was doing it in rhythm. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Papa. I said, yeah. He says, 
do you like snakes? Do you like snakes? I said, no, I hate snakes. He said, I love them. I said, why do you love snakes? He goes, because snakes are saving the world. Snakes are saving the world. I said, snakes are saving the world? He goes, yep. I mean, he's serious as a heart attack. Snakes are saving the world. I said, why are snakes saving the world? He goes, because they eat rats and mice. <laughs> it's not part of the teaching at all. It had nothing to do with... It was just a great story. From a kid's perspective, if you didn't have snakes, the rats would take over the world. I think maybe he saw Ben. I'm just going to pray for you right now. And, and I'm just going to pray for God. Listen, this is what I'm going to pray. Seriously. Serious. Joking aside. I'm going to pray for God to show you how he encounters you. Because I think what's going to happen is you're going to find out that he's been counting you all along and you didn't know it. When, Sam, when God spoke to Samuel when he was a boy, it says this, that, that, that Samuel didn't yet know God, but God was speaking to him. And God said, Samuel, Samuel. And he woke up and went in to see Eli. He said, did you call me? He said, no, Samuel, go back to bed. He went back to bed and God said, Samuel, Samuel. He gets up and goes in. He says, Eli, did you call me? He says, no, Samuel, I didn't call you. I think it happened maybe three times, two or three times. And finally, Eli says, the next time he says, Samuel, say, God, your servant is listening. I want to just pray right now that your servants, the servants would be listening. Because I have a sense that some of you that think that God isn't speaking is actually encountering you in so much powerful ways. And you didn't even know it. That you've been having your God encounters all the time, but you're measuring by other people's God encounters, and you're saying, I'm not having them because it doesn't look like that. And God's like, you're a living stone, not a brick. And I'll encounter you any way I want. And so, Lord, I just pray right now. Put your hands over your eyes. <laughs> okay, don't peek. <laughs> Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would anoint the eyes of everyone Within the sound of my voice, in Jesus' name, that you would open their eyes and that they would see what has been invisible to them in Jesus' name, like the servant of Elisha, that you would open their eyes right now in Jesus' name. Now put your hand over your ears. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open their ears, that they could hear things that they've never heard before. Not just audibly, but prophetically that you would open up the ears of their spirit and that they would capture even the whispers of God in Jesus' name. And that you would show each one of them how you've been encountering them, even when you're silent, that you have been forming us, that you have been, that you have been fashioning us, that you have been with us, the shadow in the darkness is because you are the light in our valley. Lord, we just release that sense that God is very near. He's very present. He's not more present when we worship than we, when he is when we're in our, at our jobs. That you are a very present help in a time of trouble. That you're always with us. That you want to encounter us as powerfully at our job in our homes, as you want to encounter us when there's music here. Lord, that you want to be 
You want to be seen. You want to be felt. You want to be known. You want to be experienced everywhere we go. Lord, we just release that, that we ourselves, our personhood, would be an instrument of worship. That we would offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, not just when we come together and use our mouths to sing, but our whole being would become an instrument of worship to you. And that everything we do would be worship to you, God. Lord, I just release that over each of us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, I received that for myself. Amen.